Hello and welcome to the NNN Podcast, where we hate Ruby. Wow. Uh, well, yeah. There goes all our viewers. All of our credibility is shot <laughs> because we criticized Ruby. Ruby. I hope they came up with the name for the show before they came up with anything else. I hope Monty Oom was just like... Oom? Oom. Isn't he Monty Oom? I thought it was Oom. I don't know. I always said and heard Oom. Oh, can you hear that? Those notifications? Uh, no. Oh. Um, Monty Oom. Uh, Monty Ohm. Ohm, like the measure of electricity? I don't know. Anyway, Monty Oom. Uh, I hope he was just like, like, either on some sort of, um, substance or <laughs> very late and slap happy with friends. And it was just saying the word Ruby, like Ruby, Ruby, R W B Y, Ruby, Ruby. Isn't it weird how if you spell, replace the U with the W, the pronunciation doesn't change? Ruby. I hope that's him. I, thought, I hope that was him. You know what I'm saying? I get what you're saying. Um, I don't agree with it. I don't well, agree with anything you stand for right now. <laughs> okay. I'm sitting, so that's okay. Um, <laughs> hi, I'm Kosek, and that's Janarby. Once again, uh, it's only two of us. This yeah, is- this is a weird staple. I've never seen a podcast where this is a thing. This is our niche. Where there's one consistent host and he just kind of swaps between the other two. And sometimes all three of them are together. Sometimes. It's like, it's like getting the Avengers together. We only show up for every like 30 <laughs> movies. Um, dude. Stop your squeaky chair. Oh yeah, let me get my good chair. Okay. We were just talking about Ruby um, and how it's, I guess, on the decline, which is something people have been saying for a few years now. And I don't know whether when people say Ruby's on the decline, they've been saying it for a few years. I don't know if it's been progressively getting worse, if it's been going up and down, but gradually down, or if it's just been going up and down, or if it just kind of dropped off after season three and it's remained consistently okay. I don't know. Um, my understanding is that it's just been kind of garbo, but <laughs> has it? Yeah, just consistently, just not very good. Like from when on? Uh, I think it's. I mean, it started going downhill like after the third volume. Yeah, but volume like four or five were volume five and six were not garbo. I would say. I'd say they were Which okay. One was five. Five, I don't know. Five was the one where they fought Scorpion Man at the end, right? Oh, yeah. I don't know. It just didn't feel. I guess, yeah, I wouldn't call it Garbo, but. Like, it was certainly. Like I said, after season three, it was going downhill. Yeah. And then now it's been consistently Garbo. That's what I'm saying is like, did it progressively get worse or did it just drop off in quality and they've been kind of hovering around there? Some parts are good, some parts are bad. I think I, I, I dislike it more than the average person, maybe. That might maybe, be possible. Uh, 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 but I haven't really been keeping up with it anymore. I just I'm just um I'm just annoyed that it had a lot of potential. 
(laughs) Well, not even just potential. And it started off so good. Yeah, except parts of season one. Yeah. The season two. But I mean, that was excusable because, like, it wasn't very well funded, from my understanding. And and season two (laughs) was, like, good, but had some flaws. And season three was great. Yep. Season three was great. I was a big fan. And then well, now it's just uh, it's just okay, I guess. Yeah, I've heard there's just a lot of plot holes. Uh oh, plot holes! One of those terms that people use incorrectly all the time. I don't. What What do you mean? <laughs> plot holes. Like people use the word plot holes incorrectly all the time. Like, give an example. Like people use plot holes when things don't make sense, and that's not what that means. It means things contradict. Like, people would use the term plot hole to say, oh, this character wouldn't do that. That's a plot hole. It's not a personality. It's not a plot hole. But it does work when things don't make sense. Like, just like... I guess... uh, uh, I'm still a bit groggy. Um, (laughs) uh, Just like... um, um, I'm trying to think of an example, but I can't. Like, sure, plot holes don't make sense, but I'm not sick. Yeah, but a plot hole is not when things don't make sense. No, I guess not exclusively when things don't make sense. Yeah, it's when things contradict each other. And it's also not a plot hole if somebody says something, and then that turns out to not be true later. Even if that's a retcon from the writer's perspective... It's not a plot hole. They were just wrong. The character was wrong. You seem very emotional about this topic. Eh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. Oh, um, riled up. <laughs> well, this came up a lot in Dragon Ball Super, in the Future Trunks arc, when they were like, they were like correcting stuff that the uh, Kaioshin had said in the Majin Buu arc. And, and, and there were fans that were very, you know, up in arms about that's a retcon. And it's like, yeah, it's a retcon from a writing perspective, but canonically the Kaioshin were just wrong. It's a pretty lame retcon though. It's a lame retcon, but it's a lot better than an actual retcon where they rewrite the canon, you know? Yeah. Still pretty lame. Vegito's cool, and now he's useless. Vegito was cool. Like, now it's just objectively better to use fusion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because um, apparently I mean, I you can only save fuse like five minutes. I mean, that's just situational, right? Vegito is still more power. Um, but yeah. He, he, you need to get the task done right away. Um, Which he is capable of doing. <laughs> usually, yeah. Usually. But uh, I mean, obviously, with Zamasu, he wasn't. Yeah, but I guess Zamasu was immortal, so maybe it doesn't. Yeah, there was only so much he could do. Um, and also, was it a, just a matter of him screwing around because he didn't know there was a time limit? I don't remember if he screwed around. I mean, he got to business. Like, didn't he interrupt Zamasu's speech? Like, he this got to true. business pretty quick. <laughs> I, I can't remember if he knew about the five minute time limit, and I can't remember if he. I don't think he did. 
I don't think he did, because I remember them being really surprised when they unfused. That's true. That was the thing. I do remember that shot. Um, um, eh. Yeah, no. Uh, I don't know. There are worse retcons. <laughs> this, it's, it's, Vegeta's just so cool. Vegeta's cool, but obviously I didn't want them to stay fused. I mean, plus, like, it didn't really need to be a thing, you know, like, they could have just as easily wished that Shenron to split them up. <laughs> True. Unless Vegito all of a sudden decided he didn't want to be split up. Like, because Vegito is like a person, right? That is a fusion between Goku and Vegeta. I'm not, I guess so. I'm pretty like, sure. I don't know how separate Vegito is from Goku and Vegeta, you know? I'm pretty sure it's like, is he his own separate now, person? <laughs> I think so. I think it is. And so what if he just decided, nope, I don't want to go back to being that weak. I'm stupidly strong right now. I feel like I could kick the crap out of Jiren. The side of Goku that is Vegeta would be too bored being that strong. Maybe, but I mean, because Vegeta like pretty he, easily stomps everyone. It's not <laughs> for like the most part. cheated, you know? Like, there's a whole thing about how Goku wouldn't want to be omnipotent, but he is trying to be the strongest, you know? Yeah, but that's not really his strength. That's Vegeta's strength, too. True, true. <laughs> Goku wants to be the strongest his way. He wants to work himself up to that point. I mean, he had an issue, I think, if I remember correctly, you know, the whole Super Saiyan God transformation. Right, <laughs> yeah, he was like, that's no fun. <laughs> That's not so cool. So I figure that I don't think Vegito would want to be the. You're right. Player. And Vegito wants to go back to his wife and kid. And plus, kids. Vegeta hates being <laughs> the same person as Kakra. <laughs> Vegito has uh, uh, self-esteem issues <laughs> that he just doesn't show. <laughs> because, of the, because of Vegeta's hate for Goku. I have this clown inside of me. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. Yeah. What did you think of that what video that I sent? What is that sound you're making? Huh? Nothing. Hey, can I complain for a second about how noisy Forrest was last episode? Sure, go ahead. Let's hope right. he doesn't listen to this. Let's hope he doesn't listen to this. He just kept like bumping things in his mic and moving around. And I'm like, again, my general rule is. Don't do this while you're talking, you know, yeah. that's when I can't remove it. But, um, yeah, I was typing. Oh, that's, that's probably what that was. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, we can talk about the video. So for context, an explanation, have to refresh me a bit, though. It's been a bit since I watched it. Okay. The video is all tomorrow's. Uh, by Alt Shift X, which is a summary of a story written by someone else who I don't remember, but I feel inclined to credit them. Yeah, you probably should. The story. It's, it's really interesting. <laughs> this video is a bridged retelling of All Tomorrow's, a story written and illustrated by C.M. Kozman. And I found it very cool that the first comment, the pinned comment on the video, was from C.M. Kozman himself, who said, Thank you so much for giving my work the best YouTube treatment possible. 
Um, and the second highest comment is a quote from the video. They communicated by defecating on each other. Seems like Twitter has survived well past human civilization. <laughs> um, anyway, a summary of the summary is it's basically a the, uh, it's a theoretical it, it, it's a speculative story about the next several million years several hundred million years of so it covers a lot <laughs> yeah um and sometimes it makes sense and sometimes it doesn't because when it's like over millions of years they evolve to yada 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 and it's like yep that's how that works and then it's like their society did not change over the next eight million years and I'm like, <laughs> that's absurd. That's absurd. To there was one where like they were stunted or something. Building. Yes, I know. <laughs> but just in general, to have a society of intelligent beings, I'm talking about when they were intelligent, who don't change dramatically over even a few thousand years, much less 10,000, 20,000 100,000, 500,000, 1 million, 2 million, 5 million years is unlikely at best. Um, the point is, it's a speculative story about the next bunch of time with humanity where we basically spread out across the galaxy by terraforming all these different planets and, you know, create our big old empire. And then this... Uh, Ouch. This... Uh, godlike alien race comes upon us and they don't even see us as they they don't even see us as like intelligent beings they're so far above us um and they like experiment on us obviously i'm leaving some details out but they experiment on us and basically turn us into all of these different grossly um underdeveloped species of practically animals um inhabiting all these different worlds um and a, a lot of them are very disturbing because they like fall somewhere between animals and humans oh yeah or some of them <laughs> are like um horribly degenerate in their forms but they still have human intelligence oh yeah um, yeah, a lot of stuff. Like the the what was it called? The ones where where uh, they're talking about the the group of humans that defied the aliens the most, and yeah. so they turn them into like walls. Yeah, basically. they just kind of turn them into these walls, these bricks, where <laughs> they still had their intelligence. They they still had their sapience, but they couldn't move or do pretty much anything except sit there and kind of reproduce. Um, couldn't even communicate or anything. Um, but the video then goes on to explain what kind of happened to these races and how they evolved into once more sapient races. Um, and actually developed modern technology and stuff. And then they kind of banded together. Um, and then they kind of, uh, destroyed each other again. Or they got destroyed by a different one of the races that had evolved to hate the others. It was like uh, there's some xenophobes. There's those that didn't join in. And then there's the what was it? Oh, it was the people that evolved on. Um, 
one of the humans terraformed planets or something. Yeah. And yeah. believe that they were the true inheritors of ancient humanity and that all the other uh, people that evolved from humans are, were just... I mean, weren't that. They didn't deserve yeah. it. So they went um, out and they, they turned themselves into robots and obliterated them all. Yes. Except for the xenophobes, which they turned into servants. Yeah. But they were eventually stopped by this other race of humans who had become incredibly intelligent. And oh, yeah. The, the original humans, technically. Kind of. Yes. 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 The ones they, that weren't turned into these monstrosities. By, yes. Because they, just, they escaped. They just obviously kept evolving from humans, yeah. from already pretty intelligent humans uh, from that point to be these super intelligent creatures. Um, and they were the ones who kind of repopulated the galaxy. Yep. Um, so, yeah, science fiction, you know, speculative piece about humanity's future. Um, surprisingly funny. Oh, yeah. It was very funny. Not like That's constantly, funny. but there was a lot of like irony. Like, first of all, there was a lot of stuff like the bit about one of the races of people communicated by defecating on each other. Also, the super duper advanced humans that escaped the whatever it was, the queen, uh, I think is what it was called, traveled around the galaxy by farting. Because they lived in space in zero gravity. Basically, yeah. They just propelled themselves. <laughs> it, there was stuff like that. But there was also just like funny stuff like, um, like every time one of the non-intelligent races started to develop, something bad happened to them. Like they were struck by a meteor, like an ice age came and like, yeah. they just could not catch a break. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, 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 yeah. It was quite enjoyable. Very interesting. Very interesting stuff. Yes. Um, you know what I love about it or, or, or something in general that in fiction that I love is when a enormous amount of things spiral out from one kind of small event, relatively small event, let's say. Um, and you are privy to that event and you can just see that event and think about all the crazy stuff that's going to come of it. Hmm. Um, and that's relevant to that because it starts with just us on our little planet, you know, earth. Um, and it's super interesting to think about all of these millions of years of galactic empires and multiple races and, you know, planet busting level warfare, (laughs) uh, spiraling out from just our planet you know oh yeah because it never really mentions too many other races no aside from humanity and it's kind of the things that sprung off from it because you kind of forget eventually not totally but you kind of forget that oh yeah all of these races came from us in this setting you know yep it's very interesting um the two other really stupid examples I can think of of this uh, this idea I was talking about of a lot of things spiraling out of one small event is one Mega Man for some reason Megan Man Megan Man um, 
because in Mega Man lore, you know, it all starts with like, you know, with Dr. Wily and Dr. Light creating the Robot Masters and then Dr. Light modifying Mega Man to go beat them up, you know? It's this relatively minor conflict between these two <laughs> scientists. And the events of the first Mega Man and the first Mega Man series eventually just kind of spiral out to Mega Man X, where like robots are a huge part of society. And then Mega Man Zero, when you by the time you get there, like 75% of humanity has been wiped out. And then by the time you get to Mega Man ZX, like, gosh, the humanity has like rebuilt itself, you know, after the mass genocide. And I, it's just crazy to me to link all of that back to this little feud between two scientists. You know what I'm saying? And Battle Network is somewhere around there, too. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> it's there, too, I guess. I don't I'm remember. Sure it's a separate it's universe. <laughs> it might. I think it is. I think it's an alternate universe. Um, But no, I just love that kind of that kind of domino effect, you know? Yeah. It's very cool to, 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 to see each little piece, you know? Megan Man Battle Network is cool. I like that. That was a yeah. good series. Have you ever played it in its entirety? No, I've never played it in much entirety at all. And you've uh, always wanted me to. Have I? I mean, yeah, you've I, I, uh, you've prompted me to a few times. Oh, yeah, it's it's fun. I I remember I played it. Uh, I played through the entire series one summer. Yeah, um, yeah. Six games, which is very fun. Um, uh, but I, I like platformers, so I, I'm more interested in all the other Mega Man games. Uh, I'm not good at platformers. I'm really bad at platformers. Yeah. This um, is why I, I stuck to Battle Network. Sure, makes sense. Um, whereas my favorite Mega Man series is the Zero games, which are like the hardest. But yeah. Uh, the other example I have for this is, um, Socrates. The video game. Yeah. (laughs) Um, no, uh, Socrates, obviously philosophy, there were philosophers before Socrates, but like Socrates is who like, you know, taught Plato. Fun to play with, not to eat. And then Plato was the one who kind of taught Aristotle. And out of Plato and Aristotle, I mean, I mean, Plato and Aristotle were the like foundation for all of Western thought from ancient Greece up through now. You get what I'm saying? Yep. Um, like medieval philosophers a thousand years later were still studying Aristotle, you know? And his writings. And it's, it's crazy to me to think about how much of our m- entire hemisphere's culture came from this one guy, Socrates, who just thought too much. You know? He, he thought a bit too hard. <laughs> Good old Socrates thought a bit too much. You know, I've been playing Assassin's Creed and he, he showed the, the Odyssey. And he shows up in there. Actually, a fair bit. Does he? Yeah. When does that game take place? It takes place during um, 
uh, the war between Sparta and uh, Athens, the Athenians, something like that. Because you also talked about Artaxerxes showing up there. Yeah, it's obviously not entirely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Granted, I don't know much about history, but like. (laughs) I don't think any of the Artaxerxes lived. Well, maybe they did. Lived during the time of Socrates. All I know is that he was basically. Artaxerxes ran away from his home because his brother tried to kill him. Um, And you talk to him and he was like, I want you to go look at these cool landmarks for me and tell me about them because I'm blind now. (laughs) Is Socrates uh, ugly? No. Isn't it weird how I was about to say Socrates is canonically ugly? What do you mean canonically ugly? (laughs) He was a real guy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Socrates was ugly. Was he? Because there's this funny story of him talking with a guy about what makes things beautiful, you know? Yeah. And Socrates is like, what makes something beautiful? What makes a shovel beautiful, aesthetically good? And the guy was like, the guy thought for a bit and he was like, well, I think something is beautiful, aesthetically good when it best serves its proper function a shovel digging you know and socrates was like well then it would be reasonable to assume that i am more beautiful than you after all while your eyes point forward mine bulge out to the sides allowing me to see in a further range (laughs) and while your nose is pointed downward Mine is snubbed upward, which allows me to take in more smells. You get what I'm saying? (laughs) There was like one or two more examples, but the point is Socrates was not a very attractive man, but he was funny. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he didn't look that bad. (laughs) He looked like a pretty normal person. He's a bit chubby. <laughs> but like, and he has a wife that is very attractive. <laughs> Ooh, he deserves it. Good on him. Um, but yeah, uh, he, he's a he's a neat little character. Yeah. He questions like everything. Oh, Socrates was known for just like being a public menace because he would accost people and ask them questions. Yeah. And everyone hates him for it. Too. Yes. <laughs> li- no, li- literally everyone hated him because he would just like, you know, it'll be stuff like, why do you go to work? And they're like to make money. Why do you need money? Uh, so I can support my family. Why do, uh, do you need money to support? You, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. He would like question everything until they were just like, dude, I don't know. And I don't care. <laughs> but, and that's basically how he operates. <laughs> That's good. In the story. I'm glad that's accurate. Um, because he kind of just follows you around and, and questions you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, but it is just a lot of him asking, like, just a lot of, well, why did you do this? And why did you do that? And well, for what reason did you do this? Was it to do this or exactly. was it to do that? <laughs> um, I love the meme about um, 
airplanes have windows but and can fly houses have windows too but they cannot fly therefore it is not the windows that cause the airplane to fly but something else entirely and the comment is like this is what greek philosophy is like because it is (laughs) because ancient western philosophy is a bunch of guys trying to figure out how the world works by asking questions no one really bothered to ask before you know um and it's a lot of weird not weird it's a lot of logic like that you know yeah (laughs) it was really funny because in this game there's this cult um that's like being a big fat menace and they're like controlling the uh, i always forget how to pronounce it the the pythia pythia you know what i'm talking about not off the top of my head pythia is like i'm 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 very careful not to say anything like that's going to make me look like a fool for not knowing history, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure. And I mean, the Pythia was a real thing that like, I'm, I'm like 99% sure. Can you, can you spell it? Like P-Y-T-H-I-A. I Basically, am. it was someone that the gods spoke through and people would go to her. Oh, and, the, uh, the Oracle at Delphi. Yes, 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 yes. That was that was a thing. Yes. Um, and basically, the cult controls her, and like they basically influence the war by telling her to say certain things. And so, what she does uh, in order to lessen the cult's influence on her is she tells Socrates that he is the wisest. That was a legitimate thing that happened. That's what I thought. <laughs> Socrates went to the Oracle of Delphi and asked who was the wisest. And they said it was, or was it Socrates or was it someone else? I think it was someone else who went to the Oracle of Delphi and asked them who was the wisest. And they said it was Socrates. But yeah. And she did this cause she knew he would question it. <laughs> and then he would, and cause uh, she, he'd think that he wasn't the wisest or all this other, basically come to the conclusion that he couldn't be the wisest, and then he'd start to doubt the the validity of the gods, or rather the validity of the gods speaking through the oracle to basically kind of make it so people, so he'd spread this line of thought, and then people would stop going to her for this stuff. Which is very funny to me. (laughs) Yeah, makes sense. Um... I'm reading Wikipedia. Plato's Socrates often claims that he is aware of his own lack of knowledge, uh, which is the whole where the whole uh, I know that I don't know anything thing comes from, you know, Uh, when he was informed that the Oracle of Delphi declared that there is no one wiser than Socrates, he concluded, I am wiser than this other guy who was talking to Sophoteron, Sophoteron, I don't know. It is likely that neither of us knows anything worthwhile but he thinks he knows something when he does not, whereas when I do not know, neither do I think I know. So I am likely to be wiser than he to this small extent, that I do not think I know what I do not know. What a complicated guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that's almost a good example of the kind of logic I was talking about in that meme. <laughs> where it was like where, where he's like so i'm wiser than this guy but chances are neither of us knows what we're talking about so why am i wiser well it must be because well the only difference i can see between us 
is that he thinks he's right and I know I'm wrong. <laughs> it's, it sound it's just a lot of simple conclusions <laughs> yes. that come from really complicated lines of thought. But yes. uh, like intelligence wasn't nearly as high as it is now like on average you know no (laughs) and also a lot of what we know is built off of what he figured out yes because it's not just well more like what aristotle figured out but um yeah uh it's not just a matter of intelligence it's just a matter of how to put it um how you think about things give me a sec and then there is one my bad um what was I talking about? Socrates, Socrates, uh, Socrates, intelligence, not being, it's not just a matter of intelligence, right? It's not just a matter of intelligence. It's just a matter of, like you said, the way we think is based on them. Um, they were thinking in ways people hadn't thought before, like lines of logic. People hadn't considered the, the, like the word is paradigm, but I always have trouble uh, defining the word paradigm. It's just, it's just the way you view reality. Uh, the way they viewed reality was very, very different from the way we do because the way we do is informed, uh, collectively through the development of society by, like you said, the conclusions, those ancient philosophers and philosophers since then have made. You know what I'm saying? Just, yeah, it's just, (laughs) Because I was thinking of this while I was playing, you know, a lot of the stuff he's talking about and he knows if someone came up to me and and did this and acted like they just (laughs) discovered something new or on some sort of, you know, real new tangent here. I think, what the heck? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You've not been around. (laughs) Um, Um, But yeah, it was so new back then. (laughs) Because Aristotle is the guy... Aristotle is really interesting to study in that regard because, uh, because where, whereas Plato was really concerned with, um, very vague concepts like love and beauty. Uh, Aristotle was the guy who like tried to categorize the animals for the first time, you know, into different groups and tried to understand Aristotle basically did science, you know, for the first time. Um, and he like tried to define what made a good story. Good. Is um, it? I could be totally wrong. Who, who came with the hero's journey? Oh, I have no idea. That wasn't Aristotle, but who, uh, but that made me, um, think of the hero's journey. It was just like, you know, the analysis of like, just the, the yeah, that's a, who was that? I have no idea. Um, jo- Joseph Campbell is the guy. I'm Joseph Campbell is the guy who's seems to be coming up in Wikipedia because he's the guy who wrote the hero with a thousand faces. Ah, when did that come out? I don't know. But that is also kind of another analysis of what, well, not necessarily what makes the story good, but it is a a pattern that a lot of good stories follow. Yes. Um, But I think the really significant thing with the hero's journey is that it's a pattern that like we see across all these different cultures who didn't have any interaction with one another. 
Yeah. It's a real interesting thing. And it's not supposed to. And a lot of people actually took it as a literal guide to writing a, a story. No. But then, <laughs> that's not what it was supposed to be. <laughs> um, uh, we can talk about it. The, the last thing I wanted to say about Aristotle was just that because he did all this science stuff, we know how much of it was wrong. You know, Aristotle was wrong about a lot. But the point is, he got that line of thought started, you know? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> anyway, the hero's journey. I think it's interesting because the, the, the natural conclusion of the of, of when you're thinking about the hero's journey is, you know, the question of why does this appear in all these different cultures? Is there something natural about this narrative progression? Is it something that naturally springs up from the human I'm, mind? You let's know? see. Let me look up like an actual um, breakdown of the year's journey. Okay. Uh, or not an actual breakdown, but you know what I mean. Like the, the steps. The steps. Yeah, the call to adventure. Because I figure that obviously takes place in a lot of cultures simply because Obviously, something has to happen to get them away from whatever mundane life they were living, or just sure. whatever in general yeah. life they were living. Um, or you know, something to start the story, <laughs> you know, just in general. So that's probably where the call to the adventure comes from. Something has to start. Obviously, yeah. it wouldn't be very interesting to, to read about someone going through their day to day actions. Yeah, imagine that. <laughs> anyway, I finished reading Nietzsche. Let's <laughs> <laughs> um, see. Then there's refusal. Well, there's departure, and then then there's refusal of the call. That's interesting. Um, that's because that's a that is like I don't know how to properly explain that one. You know. That seems like a psychological well, thing, right? Yeah, well, because you know, self doubt change. Yeah. Um, and since obviously you know all the writers of these stories are people, regardless of their culture, <laughs> that's yeah. probably how it made its way in there. Because yeah, uh, uh, fear of the unknown, self doubt, I can't confusion, or I can't in quotes, just to be clear. <laughs> Confusion of right and wrong. Um, there's probably a better diagram here that I that's a bit simpler. <laughs> to, oh, yeah, there's crossing the threshold. I skipped that one. I think. Yeah, I guess it's the natural uh, consequence of accepting the call. Because well, it's a real. Uh, there's a lot to it. <laughs> yeah. Cause each thing kind of has like a subset of steps before you get to the next stage. Um, and but yeah, then there's the supernatural aid, meeting the mentor, external help or advice, saving graces, overcoming fear. Makes sense. I think, I think recategorizing the supernatural bit as just external force, uh, helps apply it to more stories, you know? Yeah. And I feel like obviously, a mentor figure is always involved just because it would be kind of boring if the hero already knew everything, obviously the Jerusalem. hero can't already know everything. Otherwise, <laughs> you know, there's no journey that you're working. Yeah. 
yeah, so there has to be someone to guide them along. Uh, so therefore, the mentor shows up. Um, guardian of the spirit world, externally naysayers, doorkeepers, internally blame, guilt. Threshold guard, yeah, is waiting to be and saved. There's a whole lot here. It's a very interesting the, thing. Yeah, books and books and papers and papers written on this. So yeah, there's a reason there's a whole lot to go over. And then, yeah, it's crossing the threshold, committing to change, you know, so. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so the threshold guardian is just all the things right before the actual crossing. That's definitely a boss fight in some game, right? (laughs) Threshold guardian, right? Just make a literal video game (laughs) about the hero's journey. Oh, gosh. That sounds like some indie, some, uh, what's the term? Um... I'm pretty some, sure there is a video game about Peter's journey. I bet, but what I'm saying is just theorizing it. It sounds like some very some some indie game that's intended to be very meta, but it just isn't good. <laughs> like like what? Gosh, what's how to put it? Um, it's trying to be meta by being a direct by being literally about the hero's journey, trying to be like the quintessential hero's journey, but it just falls into a pit it created for itself by being the most generic story. Oh yeah. You know what I'm <laughs> like, the hero's journey seems like it'd be really hard to make a game that is clearly referencing the hero's journey without actually just making into the hero's journey. Yeah. The most boring <laughs> plot progression ever. Meeting the shadow self is a cool one. Um, this one doesn't go into too much detail. I can't really, but I like that one. I mean, but what do you mean by shadow self? Like the antithetical character to the main protagonist? I don't know what antithetical means. Antithetical. So it's just, just like the, the opposite of everything they are. I think maybe, I think it can. What I was thinking more of is just like, I can't actually remember it. Because I don't think it would even necessarily always be a character, but yeah. Well, because I was thinking more so the um, kind of the, the the inner demons holding you back, like the you that that doesn't want to progress. Or okay. so. But then I guess you Man. cross the thresholds. That wouldn't make a lot of sense. I mean, yeah, unless there's a because that you're supposed to deal with all that before. But doubt. Oh, you know. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to find one that goes into more detail about this particular. Oh, I'll here, tell you here's, what, here's a good one. I'll tell you what um, irritates me that people, while you're looking, uh, that people do about the hero's journey sometimes. Oh, the first threshold. There it is. <laughs> the first there's, there's of more. 12. <laughs> yes, there are 12 stages in this game. <laughs> um, I hate when people try to apply the hero's journey model to every story. You know what I'm saying? Like just any and every work of fiction. Pretty much, yeah. Um, you can obviously find some parts of it, you, you can know, find every piece of fiction, parts. but like you're not. But, but you know, trying to get can, an exact one to one. Yeah, sometimes you can find so few uh, worthwhile similarities that it's basically not the hero's journey at all. You know, like obviously in every story, the call to adventure has to happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess it doesn't have to happen. I guess it, it depends happen. on the story. Because, like, you know, like you're saying, like, what's slice of life? But I guess that could still be, 
like taken in the form of a new character coming in to shake things up. Because you know, that's the thing, in right? The beginning. Is, is the call to adventure specifically the hearkening to a journey that takes you away from your day-to-day life? Because I think that's what it's supposed to be in the hero's journey. Yeah. I think it could be just like reduced to the start of the story, you know? Yeah. Because obviously something new typically happens in like a slice of life anime or something to the protagonist right at the beginning that kind of yeah. starts everything off. But in general, it's not like they're going anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> they're <is> still... <laughs> exactly. If, if you don't go anywhere, if the threat comes to you, is that a call to adventure? It's a call to start doing things differently, you know? Yeah, but is that the hero's journey? You know? I don't know. I don't know. Like, because, and then typically you always kind of reach the rebirth stage, you know? Mm-hmm. Which is towards the end. Um, You know, the mentor figure is not always <laughs> in every story. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Trials, friends, and foes typically are. Yeah, that's again. Some of these are just sometimes foes. That's how can, stories like, work. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, uh, obviously, I guess the foe could take the, the the form of a more of a psychological thing. It doesn't necessarily have to be a person. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's just a kind of a something that are, causes conflict to arise as either within yourself or externally. Because I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what I'm thinking of is imagine a horror movie where the the hero is not accepting any sort of call to adventure there's just a malevolent force that has invaded their home you know yeah and there's no like accepting the call it's no you're doing this you're under attack you know (laughs) you better accept it (laughs) yeah like again it's an example of where i think you could apply it but i think you'd have to stretch it so much that it wouldn't even be worthwhile yeah not really it's kind of coming to you and like i said it can i think it can just be reduced to something that comes along that just shakes everything up (laughs) yeah that kind of flips some things on its head or this or that that causes you to start doing something differently or, or searching for some sort of answer. Because typically, obviously, when these horror movie villains come along, the hero does have to search for some way to, like, stop it. So yeah. it's called that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Where is the shadow self in this? this off to more treasures and different things. Like, like Dark Link from... Zelda two, yeah. <laughs> he, he, he only he only he only shows up at the end though. Does he? Yeah, I was thinking of Ocarina of Time. Yeah, no, Zelda two is what I was talking about, <laughs> which is the first time Dark Link appears, and he just he's the final boss. Oopsie Daisy. Yeah. What did I just do? How to access your inner guide to make better decisions and follow your true path? Clearly, Ooh. I clicked on something weird. Yeah. This is not where I wanted You're to be. On the hippie side of the internet. <laughs> Time to find out your astrological signs. All three of them. Because I learned there's apparently three of them the other day. Well, there's the sun sign, your sun sign, and there's your moon sign. 
Um, I don't know what the third one is. The third one is your rising sign. Yeah. I didn't know that was a thing. Job of the Herald, overcoming a threshold guardian, meeting out other, other selves, and what? Oh, confronting the shadow. The shadow represents the energy of the dark side, the unexpressed, unrealized, or rejected, rejected aspects of something. The negative face of the shadow is the villain. Antagonist or anime? Anime. What? Anime. Anime, anime is the anime. villain. <laughs> um, it may also be an ally who is after the same goal, but who disagrees with his tactics. Vogler Vogler? Think. Boulder. Says the function <laughs> says the function of the shadow <laughs> is to challenge the hero and give her a worth a worthy opponent in the struggle. Femme fatales are, are what Femme fatales. Step five, boulder. There is always a boulder in the hero's journey. Scholars aren't Look sure why, but it's there. <laughs> Oh, disagree to, to, to such a become a shadow. That shadows have been added to the Oh, there we go. Um, anyway, internal shadows may be deeply repressed parts of the heroes. According to Vogler, external shadows must be destroyed by the hero or redeemed and turned into a positive force. Shadows may also represent, yes, unexplored <laughs> potentials such as affection, creativity, or psychic ability that goes unexpressed. I see. Yeah, but yeah, like Piccolo or Vegeta. Yeah. Or literally almost every villain in Dragon Ball Z. Yeah. Sometimes you get Cause... Boo, who does both. He, he's, he splits into two, and one of them is redeemed, <laughs> and the other one is destroyed. But then is reincarnated into Ooh. <laughs> You're right, so he was kind of redeemed and then by force. And freezes around in the end, kind of work helping kind of <laughs> kind you know frieza free frieza breaks the hero's journey like he breaks most things what do you mean he, oh just because he's, he's not quite of... destroyed he's destroyed <laughs> but he comes back he's not quite redeemed <laughs> maybe one day maybe one day hopefully not though now, this caught my attention. Changes brought about by the trickster, because oh, persona. <laughs> the persona <laughs> references a trickster. We were clearly on two different things. <laughs> yeah, Loki's in Persona too, though. He is the to trickster. Bodies. <laughs> Perfect impression. This what he sounds like. The trickster embodies the energies of mischief and the desire for change. He cuts big egos down to size and brings heroes and readers down to earth. Vogler says he brings change by drawing attention to the imbalance or absurdity of a stagnant situation and often provokes laughter. The trickster tricksters are catalyst characters who affect the lives of others but are unchanged themselves. I see. Very interesting. Does it have examples to help me understand? Oh, uh, let me go back to oh, it. The it had like one. It was um, the trickster. Okay, because this references um, the shapeshifter, which I did not actually read. Where, where was the shapeshifter? The okay. wizard himself is both a shapeshifter and a tr- trickster. I don't know what wizard you're referencing. Oh, oh, okay, 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 okay. This is all referencing. It's using the the 
the Wizard of Oz. Nice. So the wizard is both a shapeshifter and a trickster. Where's the shapeshifter bit? Ah, meeting ourselves as shapeshifters. Shapeshifters express the energy of the animus, the male element in the female consciousness, and anima, the female element in the male consciousness. Ogler says we often recognize a resemblance of our own anima or animus in a person, project the full image onto him or her, enter relationship with this ideal fantasy, and commence trying to force the partner to match our projection. The shapeshifter is a catalyst for change, a symbol of psychological urge to transform. The role serves the dramatic function of bringing doubt and suspense into a story. It is a mask that may be worn by any character in the story and is often expressed by a character whose loyalty and true nature are always in question. Well, so. I didn't quite catch that because I'm really bad at um, auditory learning, but <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure. I didn't quite catch either. <laughs> um, uh, even though I was the one reading it. I, I'd have to read it a couple more times over that. Actually, really. Yeah, it makes sense. Get it. Plus, I really don't remember much of the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Do you not? Nope. When did you see it last? I don't remember. I see. Probably before the fourth grade. Wow. You haven't seen any form of the Wizard of Oz since then? I mean, I've seen like three, like when cartoons do their little... <laughs> Wizard of Oz trope thing, kind of. I guess. I mean, I don't know. I just feel like I've seen the Wizard of Oz in multiple ways. I, I, uh, the last thing I think I watched that was like the Wizard of Oz was the Wiz. The Wiz. Yeah. <laughs> what is that? It's, you know, it's the Wiz. <laughs> I know. Um, the Wiz is basically uh, it's a retelling of the Wizard of Oz but all the characters are African American I see and it's done with a lot of like I think African American culture in mind stuff like that is, like is Michael it, Jackson is in it he's the scarecrow oh uh, yep yep okay okay uh, actually I have heard of this I don't know much about it though I haven't seen it I haven't seen it in a very long time, so that might be wrong. Some of the stuff I said. Yeah, no, they're not all African-American, but it is It is definitely, it's got a lot of African-American influence in it, but it's gotcha. not entirely like a black cast, but. <laughs> Good. What? Nothing. I was not laughing at you. That could have been taken very offensively. <laughs> it's got a very black cast. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Ah, no, I was I didn't laughing. Say very black either. I said mostly. <laughs> I know. I was. I just had to get the joke out. <laughs> um, I was laughing at something Forrest said. Oh, um, he's or he sent. Um, well, I see. All I can think do of very good. Apparently, I remember liking it though. I see. It it's got a forty-eight percent, no forty-two percent, and then five point four on IMDb and a fifty-three on Metacritic. I see. What the audience think of it? I guess sixty-five. That's not bad. Yeah, I mean IMDb is audience. I'm pretty sure audience scores. 
What are some of the reviews? So much wit and talent and energy crowd on the energy crowd. The screen is what the heck? What so much wit and hold on. So much wit and talent and energy crowd the screen in this lavishly filmed variant of the Oz story that it is depressing to realize that the production never had a chance. I don't really that know. Doesn't what that doesn't tell means. me anything. What? <laughs> There's so much talent and good storytelling and special effects here that it's sad to think it was bad. What made it bad then? Yeah. I don't understand. This guy is a top critic, apparently. Bar's <laughs> low then. <laughs> Director Sidney Lumet, Lumet has created what amounts to a love letter to the city of New York, which he equates with Oz. Okay. That's neat. So most of these are just kind of average, I think. Um, the Wiz can't quite get it together. Nonetheless, this trip up the yellow brick road has something to please almost everyone. These are all very vague. Yeah. Taken on its own terms, it gets better as it goes along and winds up generating a mostly happy experience for those me- members of the audience who will take its lead and ease on down. That's some very catchy songs. <laughs> the road. Yeah. At least I remember them being very catchy. I liked them a lot. Um, but I haven't seen it since I was in like fourth grade. I think I, my dad probably has it around, but I don't actually have a DVD player anymore to watch it. <laughs> um, it's good that the Scarecrow is the first traveling companion she meets. Michael Jackson fills the role with humor and warmth. Good. Good on him. Was Michael Jackson a good actor? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I haven't. I I remember obviously, like I was a kid when I watched it, so I don't know how well the acting was. <laughs> you know, I wasn't in a position to really judge it. It was just enjoyable. With the charm, oh, here's some some. Uh, this is a super reviewer. With the charm bringing, wait, with the charm bringing by the stars and the directors. Or director Lummet, rather. The Wiz isn't a film. There's a lot of typos here. That's, I'm not reading that one. <laughs> <laughs> isn't, a, isn't a film really good? Showing along the picture an expectable end and apparent offend the intelligence of the audience. What? Just like the scenes where Scarecrow, desperate for a brain, clearly presents beautiful citations and most of the ideas as like the Tin Men crying and wanting it. Is he mad about this? <laughs> I don't know what he's saying. <laughs> or her, him or her. Yeah. Lucas, I assume that's a her. I mean him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, mean, I don't know. Who can say? <laughs> like, I. It feels like he's annoyed at the fact that it's obvious that he wants a brain, but is intelligent. <laughs> but like, that's the point. Yeah, that is the point. <laughs> the point he is he already had it. <laughs> he didn't need anything else. And the Tin Man wanting a, a heart, but cries and this and that. That's the point. That's the point. <laughs> this person didn't see the original Wizard of Oz. <laughs> 
uh, in a word, dreadful from the opening scenes where it's impossible to know what's happening or the relationship with the characters. Bloated running time. It was nothing about the was very good. I, I liked it. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, Diana Ross played Dorothy. I didn't know that. Who's, who does Diana Ross again? She's, you know, she's famous. <laughs> I don't know a whole lot about Diana Ross. I just, she's I, really. <laughs> I feel that though. She's a, a singer. Star for I think she isn't she. She's a singer. No. I don't know her any of the songs it's listing. Uh, off the top of my head. What movies has she been in? Well, the highest one rated one that she was in is Lady Sings the Blues, 1972. Got in 65%. But she hasn't been in very many. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I watched, uh, what was it called? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> History Channel. <laughs> No, I want. I keep wanting to say Perfect Blue, but that's an anime. I'm pretty sure. All right, it was called A Patch of Blue. Never heard of it. Um, it's a it's a very old movie, black and white, 1965. Um, and it's about this woman. That is that Daredevil. I don't know or care. Go on. <laughs> well, it's just. She's blind, and then it pull up a picture of Daredevil. <laughs> Not her. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's a, it's a movie about this blind woman, um, who she's she lives in like an abusive home. It's a sucky home, and um, uh, she's also not. I don't think she's very well educated because they keep her inside all the time for the most part. Um, but she goes, she starts going to the park. She likes going to the park. And then this guy comes along and he's, he's African-American and like, she falls in love with him, but obviously like, that's not okay in that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she can't see him. So, and he, it's just kind of this whole thing about him not wanting her to like, no. And it's, 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 it's a good movie. Um, this is just, I just it just reminded me because we're just on the topic of, of black actors and stuff like that. I see. Is it a good movie? You would it recommend? Is a good movie. I would recommend. Is it a nice romance? Um. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, it's. I, is it not quite a romance? I, I don't. I don't know. Like, I, yeah, I guess it is a romance, but um, there's a lot more going on, and it's not. Like super sappy. <laughs> it's not. It's not like a real romantic romance. Sure, makes you know? sense. Well, maybe I'll watch it at some point. Um, I yeah, been... got eighty nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes, seventy three on Metacritic, eight out of ten. I'm gotcha. Nice. I've been meaning to watch um Marriage Story with my ma, which Marriage is like story? an anti romance. Anti. Well, wait, I think this guy, was he, was he in The Wiz? Oh, I thought yeah. I saw his name pop up on The Wiz. Oh, no, there's just a guy with the name Sydney. You know. All Sydneys are the same person. <laughs> what is EO, Captain EO? This was another thing that Michael Jackson was in. I don't know. It doesn't even have a Ron Tomatoes rating. 
<laughs> All it has is IMDb. Oh, it's 17 minutes long. It was a 3D science fiction film that was shown at Disney theme parks. Oh. It was star- It had Michael Jackson and it was written by George Lucas and directed by Francis Ford Coppola. What a weird combination. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, we should wrap things up. <laughs> anyway. Because <laughs> uh, I want to go eat dinner with my family. Why? Because I'm hungry. But why are you hungry? Because I... What do you crave? What do I crave right now? Honestly, a burrito. Is that what you're having? No. No. Anyway. Lame. Thanks for listening. You're welcome. See you next week. I will. No, we won't. We won't? I'm on vacation next week. Oh, should we record another episode this week? Yeah, we could. Push out? But I'm not going to get a chance to upload it. So probably not. Yeah. So no. Oh, well. Um. Anyway, I love you. And bye. Say it back. What? They got to say it back. I'm sure they did. <laughs> All right. Say goodbye. Bye.